Uh, remember, in the last uh, couple of weeks ago, we were looking at that. By the way, thanks for the team for leading last week. I heard Marcos did a really great job preaching. And uh, you can always tell something is happening when you get WhatsApp conversations and things like that happening afterwards. And so very, very exciting. Uh, Olashina and the team leading worship. Uh, it was just great uh, to know we've got such depth here in the life of our church. Uh, so uh, you might remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at the, the story about Jesus healing the demonized man, uh, the garrison demoniac. And uh, we pick up the story uh, at, after the end of that. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Now there's so many things that people say from time to time that really sound good, that really sound righteous, but are not necessarily biblical. One of those things is that 
you know, God often waits until the 11th hour before acting. Uh, or he'll wait to 11.59 uh, before acting. But the truth is that sometimes God waits till after the fact. Sometimes God goes longer than we think he should, and the way that God acts is, is completely baffling to us. Another thing we often say, God won't give us more than we can bear, but you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of times when we go through things in life that are more than what we seem to be able to bear. And there are a lot of good things and a lot of well-meaning people in talking about God, uh, but oftentimes they don't really compare what's said to what the Bible actually shows us is the reality. Yet, even in the midst of all this, in the midst of uh, things that we don't understand, the timing of God that we cannot always fathom, we still are called to minister to one another. We're still called to minister to people. And as we minister to people, the only way we can minister to them is by faith. We have to minister by faith. We cannot minister in our own strength. We cannot minister out of our good ideas. We must minister to people. We must serve people by faith. Now, we've given this definition of faith. Hopefully, you've memorized it by now. But Christian faith is choosing to trust and to act, often beyond our natural abilities, based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded in relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what faith is all about. It's choosing to trust and choosing to act, but we have to trust and we have to act based on a true knowledge, a true understanding of God and God's ways. Uh, it is not about doing things our own way. It's not about acting in ways that we think make sense. In fact, there's a lot of things that we do that think we think that make sense that are kind of contrary to the ways of God. And we learn a lot about God and God's ways in this passage that we read today. There's so many different ways to preach on this uh, and so many different ways to look at this. But I just want to walk through the passage and point out some of the important things that we learn about serving others by faith, serving others in the power of God's Holy Spirit, and seeing God move, seeing God act. So Jesus had gone with his disciples over to the, the area of the Gerasenes. It was a non-Jewish area. Uh, Jesus cast out the demons from the guy that had uh, 5,000 demons. Uh, and then they come back, and obviously the crowd who had been there before was still waiting for him to come back. They gathered around Jesus because they liked to hear what Jesus had to say, but they also liked what Jesus was doing. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was setting people free from their sin. People were looking at this and they were hungering for this and they were desiring for this. And so people pressed into Jesus to, to learn from him, to hear from him, to experience him. And it's so important for us, if we're going to minister by faith, to serve by faith, that we need to be pressing into Jesus. So often we really take a passive attitude when it comes to Jesus. It's almost like we expect that Jesus might come and visit us rather than the reality that we need to go and be where Jesus is at. 
We need to have a hunger and a drive to connect with Jesus. And understand that not everybody who had the hunger and drive to connect with Jesus actually connected with Jesus on this occasion, but they had this desire and they were hungry and they went after Jesus. They pressed into Jesus in order to encounter Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to receive from Jesus. And we have to do this. And many times we have this attitude uh, that, uh, that is a very casual attitude when it comes to our faith. You know, we kind of show up when it's convenient for us rather than say, okay, where is Jesus? How can I press in? How can I discover him? And frankly, a lot of times people miss Jesus because he's passing by, but they never bothered to press in. So it's important for us to press in. It's important for us to seek him out. And that's exactly what Jairus did. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. He's a leader, kind of like we'd say a church leader today. He's a synagogue leader, and he goes to find Jesus because his daughter is sick. And so he goes, and he falls at the feet of Jesus, and he pleads with Jesus. He implores Jesus, come, you know, if you just come, my daughter will be made well. Now, it's a faith that drives Jairus to Jesus. It's a faith that drives Jairus to the feet of Jesus. It's a faith that implores Jesus to come. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he's got this kind of faith and a little bit of this desperation mixed in there. And sometimes it takes a bit of desperation for us to push in, for us to press in. Certainly it did here for Jairus, and he presses in. But notice here what happens. Jesus doesn't run to go to the daughter. Jesus doesn't hurry himself to go. Like you can only imagine what Jairus was feeling. Saying, okay, my, my little girl's sick, but here the guy's taking his time. My little girl's sick, he said he's coming, but he's not going on my time scale. He's not moving on my agenda. And God doesn't go by our agenda. Even when we're desperate, even when we're imploring him, even when we're asking him and seeking him, he's not driven by our perception of our agenda. He's not driven by our perception of our needs. I have to tell you, there's a lot of times when I'm quite confused. There's a lot of friends that I have who have had chronic illnesses that I just really feel and believe that God wants to heal, and I scratch my head why it hasn't happened yet. And you can only wonder what Jairus was feeling there, the kind of panic that he had. But Jesus, he's surrounded by the people. The, the people are, are trying to press into him, but he's making a way, and he's going along with Jairus. And then something happens. All of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, wait, I just I felt something happen. I felt like power went out of me. What had happened? This woman who had spent 12 years with different doctors trying to get healed, this woman who was in constant pain, constant turmoil, constant struggle, who had actually exhausted all of her money uh, just longing to be healed, this woman reaches out and she said in her mind, you know, if I can only touch his garment, if, if I can only touch the seam of his robe, I know that I can be healed. 
And so like Jairus, this woman had a faith and a desperation that propelled her toward Jesus. But notice what, she didn't demand his attention. It wasn't like she said, Jesus, do something magical and mystical and wonderful. All she wanted to do was reach out and grab a hold of maybe what Jesus had to offer, just experience a little bit of it with the idea that as long as she reached out, as long as she could touch him, that's all she needed. And truly it was. Her faith accessed the power of God through Jesus Christ. Now it's very easy to look at this and start to reduce. You know, we like to reduce things in the body of Christ. We like to reduce it. And I've heard so many people say, oh, okay, all you do right now, you know, you, your faith touches the power of God. Like you plug something into a socket. But remember here, faith is always relational. Faith is not some objectified thing that we have touching some objectified power of God that's there. For this woman, she accesses the power of God, but she accesses the power of God by faith through Jesus Christ. You will not experience the genuine power of God by faith except through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fundamental person that allows us to connect with who God is and what God has to offer us as we interact with him by faith. You never lose this relational dynamic. You never lose this relational dynamic when it comes to faith. And if you just try to access the power of God by believing somehow that you're going to get the power of God, you'll never know, is it the power of God or is it the power of a demon? And there have been people over the years who have been deceived by demons thinking they were acting, interacting with God, but actually interacting with a demon. And so here's this woman. Now remember, Jairus is here all the time. So now Jesus is taking his time, but Jairus here, he, he's, he's like, okay, I, I was dealing with your t being slow, but now you're stopping to talk to a woman and my daughter is sick. But he takes a moment and he addresses and said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now again, it's not just her blind faith. It's her faith in Jesus. It's her connection with Jesus. It's that relational dynamic with Jesus that enables her healing to happen. And there's no healing that happens outside of Jesus. There's nothing that we can receive, no benefits that we can have outside of that relational connection with Jesus Christ. And so he says, daughter, you know, go, be healed. Now this is kind of striking to me because she's already healed. Did you notice that in the text? She's already healed, but Jesus says, be healed. What's the dynamic? What's happening here? What Jesus is effectively telling her is now walk in the healing that you've received. Don't go back. Don't keep spending your money on, on the doctors. Walk into this healing that you have received by faith. So often, 
people receive a blessing from the Lord, but they don't walk into it. They just get a little zap, a little touch, but then they don't live into that reality. And the key thing for us, and the key thing for the people we serve by faith, is that they they don't just receive something and stop in it, they walk into it. We've been having a discussion uh, in our home, uh, Karen and I, and we've we've had a discussion with a number of church leaders, actually, uh, over the last few months about people and how do you know if somebody's really converted? Because what we see happening a lot in various churches, and we're not going to criticize any church, but what we see happening a lot in various churches is that people get stirred up on the inside and then they're encouraged to do something like just simply you know, lift their hand or something like that, but they're not challenged then to walk into what God's doing. And sometimes I think we just comfort people in having an experience with God instead of challenging them to walk into that reality. But when God touches us, when God heals us, we need to walk into the healing. We need to keep going with it. I've seen this happen many times with people who who want to follow Jesus. They feel stirred in their spirit. They say a prayer and then they think, okay, I've got it. But then they don't do anything about it. And a year or two or three later, you find them just back into the world, back walking away from God. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith, you know, your faith has made you well. Be healed, but walk into that. Continue into that healing. And then, of course, Jairus gets the news. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. Your girl is dead. You can only imagine what what he felt like. You know, it's like, okay, if only Jesus would have went a little bit faster. If only Jesus would have gotten on his bicycle at least. If only Jesus would have taken the underground. If only Jesus would have, would have gotten there more quickly. If only he had gotten the ambulance. If only he had done what the situation deserved, then it wouldn't have happened, or then we could have avoided this. And now it's, it's, it's done. It's useless. It's hopeless. It's over. You can just imagine how he's feeling. And then Jesus looks at him and says, probably the most important thing for us here. He says, do not fear, only believe. Only believe. Now so often when we're ministering to people, we let our fear overcome us. And Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Or oftentimes, when we're ministering to people, we think that we got to get complicated. We think that somehow what we need to do is, is get it just exactly right. I mean, here at City Temple, we, we talk about uh, uh, some stages to go through if you're praying for somebody, if you're ministering to somebody. And it's really easy to get caught up into those things and, 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 and forget that actually the most important thing is that you only believe. But you do it by faith. Now remember, this faith is relational. But only believe. Only believe. And so they kept going. 
And they get there. And notice what Jesus does at this stage. He tells everybody to stay behind. Except Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were his three closest friends. You know, he had 12, but he had the three. The, the core group that was around him. And that was Peter, James, and John. So it's Peter, James, and John, and, and Jairus, and Jesus. They're, all, they're going on further. <clears throat> now, why does he do this? Why does he do this? Well, they get a little bit further, and what happens? The people are wailing, they're crying, and Jesus says, okay, what are you guys weeping about? Why are you so upset? The girl's not dead, she's just asleep. Now, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. Now, how do we know that? Because people in that day... They understood death. They knew what happened when somebody died. You know, many of us today are insulated from death. Many people today, they'll go their entire life and they'll never actually see somebody die. But I've been at people's bedsides. I've been with people as they have died. And I tell you this, when somebody dies, you know that they've died. And so Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He's speaking metaphorically because it's only temporary. Jesus here is making a statement. He's making a declaration that something's going to happen. But notice here at this stage, it's beyond the 11th hour. It's beyond the 12th hour. In terms of the people there, the hope is gone. In terms of the people there, Jesus is not going to be healing the sick. It's time to bury the dead person. And so often when we're ministering to people, we quit because we think that we're past the 11th hour and it's too late. So often when we're praying for people, we stop because we say, well, we can't really fix the situation. It's completely messed up. So often when, we, when we're trying to minister to people, we don't persevere in that ministry. We just give up. And the story is reminding us here not to give up. Not to be afraid, only believe, but certainly do not give up. We need to persevere. We need to keep praying. We need to keep ministering. We need to keep pressing in until either God says, no, I'm not going to do anything here, or until God moves. And so often we miss what God's doing because we don't persevere in it. We don't keep pressing in in it. But we have to keep pressing in. We have to keep persevering. We must not quit. And so then Jesus, the people, they, they go from, from weeping to actually laughing at Jesus. And then Jesus puts them out. So why did Jesus put them out? Why did Jesus prevent the crowd from following him? Why did Jesus only take Peter, James, and John and the daughter's mom and dad, Jairus and his wife. We're going to see this more next week when we look at the next passage here. But Jesus isolates all of those maybe who didn't have faith, who were just curiosity seekers, who were just around for the show, people who had doubts, uh, amongst that group, we know that the Pharisees were following Jesus, trying to find ways to, to find fault with Jesus, to, to reject Jesus, 
to criticize Jesus. And so Jesus takes all of that away so that faith can come up. So that faith can rise to the top. You see, so often what happens is we try to exercise faith, but we're surrounded by those who don't believe. We're surrounded by those who are questioning. We're surrounded by those who are just curiosity seekers. We're surrounded by those who don't really have a vest, uh, an, an investment in the situation. We're surrounded by these people, and what happens is it dilutes our faith. It dilutes our belief. I can tell you, I've been in context where, where there are people who say, well, God's not real. God can't do stuff today. God can't work today. I've been, in, and these are Christians, not, not the God's not real part, but certainly the God doesn't work today or God doesn't do stuff today. And frankly, if you're with a bunch of people who don't think God's going to do anything, oftentimes you don't see God do anything. It's a reality that's there. And so Jesus takes them all aside except his closest friends and except the parents of the child so that his faith can be strong because Jesus is operating by faith here as well. Now Jesus operates by faith as a human being just like we operate by faith. Even though he's fully God, he's also fully human. And so he puts them all out and even though it's beyond hope, he reaches down and he says, little girl, get up. He doesn't do a lot of hocus pocus. He doesn't do a lot of crazy stuff. He just speaks. He operates by faith. And the girl gets up. The girl gets up, and she's healed. She's alive. Only believe. Only believe. And he says, now don't tell anybody. Now, why did we just say don't tell anybody? It's not his time yet. These are stories that people will need to know after Jesus has risen from the dead. But Jesus has a time frame. Jesus knows where he's going. He knows he's heading toward the cross. And he doesn't want to precipitate them trying to make him king or them trying to proclaim he's Messiah too soon. So he says, don't tell anybody. Of course, everybody's going to see the girl gets up. She walks out. It's like, what's going on here? And says, give the girl something to eat. Now, why would you do that? It's just to make sure that she's not a ghost. This is not some trickery that the little girl really is alive. She really has been healed. I think the Lord would say to us, it's so often, it's so easy to get discouraged. I understand that. It's so easy to be walking by faith for a long, long time and not see much happen. So much that we start to think, is anything going to happen? It's so easy to have a season of success and effectiveness and then go through a dry period that seems to last a lot longer than we think is possible. 
when we don't seem to be able to do anything, we're not seeing sick people healed, we're not seeing demonized people set free, we're not seeing people break free from sin, and we think, okay, was that past an illusion? It's so easy for us in our desperation to want God to do something, to demand that God does something, and then God doesn't seem to do anything or that God takes his time to the point where we think that it's beyond all hope, that's beyond all resolution, and we just don't get it, we just don't see it. It's so easy to have the experiences that the people there have had. It's so easy just to fall away and say, what's the use? Why should I persevere? Why should I keep getting up on a Sunday morning when I could have a nice lie-in? And the Lord says to us, only believe. Only believe. Only have faith. Only trust. And you will see amazing things. And that's our challenge as a church, in the season that we're in, only believe. Father God, you're such an amazing God. And we want to strip away all the stuff, all the things we think we need to have, We want to strip away all of our demands, even all of our desires. And we want to come to you in faith. We choose this day only to believe, only to have faith. Help us to persevere in this. Help us to continue serving one another in faith. Help us to continue serving you in faith. Help us continue to go to work and work for Jesus in faith. This day we choose only to believe, knowing that we will see you do amazing things, knowing that we can see you heal the sick and even raise the dead as we choose only to believe. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and worship.